Welcome to the Teach the Geek podcast, where engineer and author Neil Thompson talks with STEM professionals about public speaking, a struggle for many of us. Whether you're a novice public speaker or a proficient one, you can always pick up tips on how to improve. Here's your host, Neil Thompson. Welcome to another edition of Teach the Geek interviews. My name is Neil Thompson. I'm the founder of Teach the Geek. It's an online platform for science and engineering professionals. I'm also the creator of the Teach the Geek to Speak public speaking course. It's an online course. You can learn more about it at teachthegeek.com. Again, that is teachthegeek.com. Today, my guest is Zachary Evans. He is a reservoir storage engineer. I must admit, I have no clue what that means, so I'm definitely going to ask him that during our conversation. He's also regional director for North America of the Society of Petroleum Engineers. I'm really interested to learn more about his interest in petroleum engineering, his work with the Society of Petroleum Engineers, and the ways in which public speaking has benefited him. Welcome to Teach the Geek interview, Zachary. Well, thanks for having me, Neil. So from the bit of, of research I did on you, I saw that you got a degree in petroleum engineering. What was the motivation to get that degree? Well, there's a, a very long story that, that I don't know if we have time for on that, but let's just say I had not intended to be a petroleum engineer when I went to school. When I went to school, I, I, I went to, I'm originally from West Virginia. I still live in West Virginia and I went to West Virginia University for college. Um, I was very much going to be an engineer, but originally I was going to be a computer and electrical engineer. But one of the, one of the good things about the program WVU and other schools around the country is you can't declare your engineering major your first year. You can you can major in general engineering, take your discipline the second year. And so your freshman year, you get a lot of exposure, open houses, and other general pro, uh, prerequisite courses um, that kind of helps you find uh, what you would like to specialize in to make a little bit more of an informed decision. Um, so I went in with a very clear plan um, and then pivoted very quickly when I realized that those two uh, disciplines and computer electrical weren't for me. Um, and then some of the opportunities in the petroleum engineering uh, discipline, talking with some of their senior uh, students and some of the faculty members, it really appealed to me. So it wasn't really the plan, but it just shows the importance of being flexible and, and, and adapting to new information as you get it. Nice. I remember during my first year of university, I took a class in, it was a computer engineering class. It was a, it was a required class. We did coding in C. And after that class, I, re I realized that computer engineering definitely was not in my future. I didn't have the patience to code. Whenever, the thing, whenever it wouldn't compile properly, it would, be, it would be very upsetting. I just remember thinking, how can people deal with this on a daily basis? This is, this is, this is definitely not something I want to do. So yeah, I, I fully understand you know, going in there with one, you know, with one thing and then coming out with something completely different. Yeah, I, I totally get that. So once you you get a degree in petroleum engineering, so what type of work do you do working, you know, coming out of school as a petroleum engineer? Yeah, so a lot of folks, uh, I mean, basically you're working in the oil and gas industry. Um, a lot of folks kind of make the mis misconception that we work more in kind of the, what we would call the downstream portion of the industry, which is more in chemical refining. And that's, that's more of a chemical engineering or a process engineering role. Um, we work in what's called the upstream or the midstream. So it's basically in all the exploration uh, for oil and gas and then the production, right? So the drilling of wells, the installation of surface facilities, and, and then the midstream is the, the pipeline transport and storage part um, of getting those commodities to market, uh, some of the processing, liquid, natural gas, other, other kind of, of, of um, gas treatment type opportunities. Um, so uh, the work I did right out of school was I, was I had several positions overseas for about three and a half years 
working for a major international service company. I was offshore. I was um, doing kind of the stereotypical things that people think about when they think about working in the oil and gas industry. I was very much, you know, uh, working on, on platforms in the South China Sea or offshore in the Persian Gulf. Um, I uh, did that for three years. It was a great experience and lived all around the world. Um, but for the last 15 years or so, I've worked in the, the midstream portion of the business in underground gas storage, um, where we essentially um, store natural gas in depleted reservoirs, um, basically the same facility, same underground formations that house those, those products originally, um, but we use them for storage. Um, essentially to provide um, heating for the Northwest, the, Midi the, the Northeast, the Midwest, and other areas of the country where there's not enough production of natural gas during the cold months to meet demand, right? Um, so um, this is, it's one of those things that uh, we, we store about 4 trillion cubic feet of natural gas every year to get through the winter. Um, it's one of those things that people don't really know happens, but without it, uh, you wouldn't be able to live in most of the places in a lot of the big cities in the country just because there's not enough uh, natural gas for, for home heating uses. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. So out of curiosity, when you come out of school and you start working, was the working world what you expected it to be? Oh, no, not at all. I, uh, and this is, I, I actually do a lot of, of uh, as we'll talk about, a lot of speaking with students and, and kind of trying to provide some, you know, I hate the word mentorship because it sounds pretentious, but I guess that's the word. Um, and that's one of the, one of the main, uh, pieces of information I deliver is that, you know, your education and, and a lot of great institutions, and I got a good, you know, academic education, um, but, you know, school is not designed to necessarily prepare you for the working world. I, that's that's a kind of a flaw in our system, I think, but ultimately getting a degree is not the same thing as being prepared for a, a vocational track, right? Um, so there were a lot of things that I learned very quickly being thrust into the working world. Um, and it's not that it's the things you couldn't overcome, but it's, you know, the more you treat your education in a practical fashion, the more you realize that you're getting qualifications for a potential career, for a potential job. Um, it helps you to prepare for that in ways that unfortunately I, I, I didn't. Um, but, you know, you, you learn, you know, baptism by fire is the term that was often used in, in, on the oil field, um, but you learn very quickly. But uh, while it wasn't exactly what I had expected, it was certainly something I came to appreciate and, and learned to adapt to um, just, um, you know, uh, doing so on the fly as opposed to being prepared for that uh, you know, coming into it. Yeah, you know what, I'm, I'm, I fully agree with you about the, the lack of preparation for the workforce coming out of an engineering degree, Zachary. I, at least that, that applied to me as well. You know, you, you, when you're in school, you, there's a lot of technical stuff that you got to learn. And I get that, you know, you're going to likely be the technical person on a team or just working at a, in a company, but then how do you relate to the other people that work there? I mean, it's not just, it's not a company of one, you're, you're working with right. a bunch of people. <laughs> and and how, how do you, how, how do you talk to these other people? And, and, just, and, you, and you might think, well, that, that, well, that's obvious, but no, not, 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 not always. Go ahead. No, I mean, it, you're exactly right. I mean, it's the, it's the kind of, it's not just understanding the business itself, you know, some of the more kind of fiscally focused and fiduciary focused type activities, but also, like you said, understanding hierarchies, understanding how to, um, you know, take uh, take direction from from leadership, how to lead others, how to collaborate. You know, it's a lot of those soft skills. You know, we talk about soft skills a lot in a very broad term, um, and it, and oftentimes I think we kind of oversaturate to the point of, of you know, watering down what that means. But like you said, the, the ability to communicate, to, to work effectively with other people, to, uh, to take criticism constructively and not as an ad hominem attack, 
you know, these are the kind of things that, um, like you said, maybe in sound intuitive, but in practice, it's it's not as intuitive for most people as we would like it to be. So it, that's as much a, you know, that's as much as part of the education process as, like you said, learning the equations, learning the theory. And then even beyond that, it's put, you know, I'm, I'm sure you're like me and like a lot of folks, you know, we, we, we engineers like things concrete. We like to see a practical application. There's, you know, there's a certain value to the theory, but it's how is that going to actually be used? And, and so that's, that's oftentimes a disconnect between the, the classroom and, and the first job you get is, um, you know, no, no, as soon as you get out of college that, that, and you get that first job, nobody cares about your grades anymore. You know what I mean? They care about what do you actually know? What can you do for me? And so that's a big, that's oftentimes a big shock, a big culture shock is it's, it's not about what you can show, show me you can do on paper. It's what can you actually provide um, in, in terms of being a valuable employee? Yeah, I'm sure for the people that have really high grades, that's that's not something that they want to hear. It's like I, I busted my ass to get this 4.0 or whatever hey, GPA. A, <laughs> no, good. Now you tell me you don't like, care? <laughs> no, well, I mean, no one cares after you get that first job, but that first job depends a lot on on your performance too. So uh, the grades are certainly important, but the the longer you go in your career, the less your academics are are in play. It's more about what you what your experience is, right? So and that's and that's universal. It's 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 highly pronounced in the in the petroleum engineering field because we are a very experiential type of industry, but I think it's pretty universal to, to every line of work, which is the more experience you have, the more valuable you are, uh, regardless of what your GPA may have been, you know, however many years ago. Yeah, no question. You know, when you were talking, Zachary, it reminded me of a, a conversation I had with a, with a woman who works with a patent attorney now, but at one point she was an engineer. And when she was an engineer, she would always get frustrated by the fact that certain people would move ahead, move ahead of her in, in the job because she was under the impression that if you just are technically sound or just good at your job, that people will notice and that you'll get the promotions and the pay raises that you deserve. But she, she eventually got her wake up call. That's not, that's not necessarily the case. You got yeah, I, uh, <laughs> yeah. Another piece of, yeah, I could not agree more. Another piece of advice I, I often tell students is that the quicker you can learn that the universe isn't fair, the better off your life is going to be. You know, there are, there are good people that get fired. There are, you know, not so great people that get promoted. There are, you know, not so great people that win the lottery and very uh, earnest people who, who struggle financially. You know, that's just the nature of, of the beast. Right. So, um, and in the cases, like you say, it's, you know, it would be nice if, if merit and, and certain other factors were, were the only, uh, factors, but oftentimes it's it's more complicated than that. So yeah, it's it's not just about. Uh, and again, it ties into what we were talking about before about the soft skills. You got to advocate for yourself. You got to be you know disagreeable to a certain point. You've got to uh, you know really you know you got to fight your own fights because uh, oftentimes no one else is going to do it for you, right? So it's a it's a good it's a good lesson to learn. Yep, hundred percent. And I think she learned it eventually. And hopefully, anybody who's listening to this this podcast or people that we speak to. That's that's something we definitely need to get out there because people just think I just I just do my job and, and the rest will take care of itself. No, no, it won't. <laughs> you're going to be that engineer in their cubicle mad because you yeah. saw another engineer get the promotion and pay raise you thought you deserved. But you know what? They were better at than you talking to people, advocating for themselves. You are just be just getting out there and, and making them being visible to other people as opposed to mm -hmm. sitting down with their head, you know, sitting with their head down doing their job, which is, you know, obviously you got to do that. But. If you said it. If you don't advocate for yourself, who the hell will? <laughs> if you expect other people to, I mean, they're, they're advocating for themselves. They're thinking about themselves. You think you're top of mind for them? <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and also there's different ways to provide value. I mean, technical technical acumen is certainly a big part of a lot of the jobs, and especially the engineering field. But you know, there are things beyond just being good at at the at the engineering portion. It's it's 
you know, how do you provide value as a leader, as a as a um, as a uh, a public facing person for your for your department or your um, you know your company? So, you know, it's not just about you know who can do the the best uh, math. You know, it's also about who can provide all those kind of intangibles as well. Yeah, no question. So I mentioned in the intro that you're a you're a reservoir storage engineer. Is that something that you were looking to do, or is that something oh. you kind of fell into? No, not at all. So and not only was I not necessarily looking to get into petroleum engineering when I was a freshman in, in college, um, I was not looking to get into the to the underground storage business. Um, like like I said, I started my career working overseas, um, and I I miss that work every day. It was a great. Uh, I really, really enjoyed that. And I got a lot of exposure to places around the world. I met a lot of people, um, saw a lot of, of different cultures and different places that I would have never, never. I mean, when you're a, the, the town I grew up in, West Virginia, didn't have a stoplight. Right. So the idea that I would be living in, in Malaysia and Saudi Arabia and Australia and spending time in Singapore and Brunei and all these kind of places, um, you know, was just you know a, a huge opportunity for me. But it's a very difficult lifestyle. You're working, you know, oftentimes you know over 300 days a year, and, and a lot of time offshore, away from family, and a lot of physical work and things like that. So eventually, I decided to come back uh, to to the area, um, and um, I took a job. A colleague of mine from from college had recently joined a, a gas company, um, and uh, they had an opening, and they put me in touch, and that's where I took it. And, and originally, it was just. Uh, Often we say it was a place to land, right? It was a, a job where it just gave me a, a foothold. It wasn't nothing. It wasn't something I was passionate about, um, but it was an opportunity with a major, with the largest pipeline company in the country, um, working in their underground storage group. So I would be managing those underground storage fields we talk about, where we inject the gas in the summer and withdraw it during the winter um, to, to to supply the pipeline and to so basically to keep people in in Michigan and New England and in Pennsylvania warm in the winter. Um, so I took that job and then I kind of, kind of fell in love with it. Um, you know, so I spent 13 years there and now I've spent the last three years uh, as a consultant working for a firm that does that same kind of work for countries all across the country and, and the globe. Um, and so it wasn't something I, I, it's, it's actually a very small portion of the industry. Um, and I really didn't know much about it. I was aware of it, but it wasn't something that you kind of, you know, honestly, the bigger flashier jobs are, you know, the being a reservoir engineer for Chevron or Exxon or, or being a drilling engineer, you know, working offshore, doing some of the things. That's what you kind of gravitate to just because it's it sounds more exciting. And it is it is pretty exciting in, in, in and of itself. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of fell into the midstream part of the sector as or part of the industry, as I mentioned. And then I've worked in gas storage now for, for 15 plus years. And I've, uh, I've, I've really enjoyed that work uh, because it is, again, it's very practical. I mean, you provide a service that helps people, you know, you're very literally powering people's existences. Like you're providing them with the, with the uh, commodities they knew, need to, um, you know, keep their factories running, to keep their power plants on and to keep their homes warm in the winter. So it's, uh, it was always a very practical um, uh, opportunity to use what I had learned in school but in, in applying it in a way that was a little bit non-traditional, but but ultimately very, very uh, useful in terms of the, the broader society. Nice. You know, I also mentioned in the intro, Zachary, that you do work with the Society of Petroleum Engineers. What was the motivation for you to get involved with that organization and what keeps you involved? Yeah, so I started getting involved. Uh, so Society of Petroleum Engineers, or SPE as we call it, is the largest professional organization for our for our discipline. Um, and we've got about 70,000 members globally. Um, and it, it fluctuates, you know, um, based on the industry. We are a cyclical industry. We have booms and busts, obviously. Um, but um, 
so I started when I was in college. You know, we have student chapters and, and you get involved. And at the time, if I'm being honest, much like most people, you get involved with student organizations in college because it looks good on your resume and they have pizza at the meetings, right? So uh, I'm not going to pretend like I'm any different than that. Um, but I mean, it, I always valued it as a sense of professional pride, right? If this is the career path that I was going into, these were the people that were, were doing it. I wanted to be part of that. And it gave you good opportunities for, for networking and a good technical resource, <clears throat> putting you in, in you know, conferences and meetings, putting you in touch with, with, with senior engineers and other folks who you could use to, to grow your network, to grow your sphere of influence and to learn from. Um, and then after I moved, it was very difficult to be involved in the organization while, you, while you're abroad because of simply just working too much. And when you're offshore, you can't really attend too many meetings. And this was long before the days of uh, Zoom calls and webinars and things like that. So um, when I moved back to the, to the States, however, um, we had a local section uh, here in, in West Virginia. And, and so I started going to the meetings and then uh, there was opportunity. They needed some volunteers to help serve as an officer. And within a couple of years, I, I found myself being the chairperson of our local section, um, not because I necessarily wanted to, but because it was essentially my turn to, to be the volunteer. Um, and that was about 10 years ago. And I've been that section, I've been in the leadership of that local section for, for quite a while, um, and, uh, except for the last three years um, where I've been uh, serving on the international board of SBE. So I was approached by, by one of the outgoing board members and was nominated to serve on the international board. And so I, along with 19 of my peers from all across the country and, and all across the uh, the professional landscape of our discipline, um, you know, we are the you know the essentially the executive team that 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 runs the organization, um, and we're you know very large organization run events all over the all over the globe, and, and like I said, we have you know right now about 60 to 70 thousand members, uh, just professional members, about the same number of student members. The reason I enjoy that um, being involved is because I you know. Honestly, I want to give back to to an industry that's done so well for me, and I want to be part of of the community, right? I mean, it's 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 the folks that have uh, have the same kind of dedication that I do to providing you know reliable, affordable, and abundant energy for people all across the globe. Um, that's the biggest you know that's the biggest predictor of of success of of escaping poverty. Um, you know, that's a uh, and I know in, in in modern times, oftentimes our industry is demonized, but you know, we've we've done a lot of of good for for humanity by providing that energy that's allowed us to innovate, that's allowed us to take advantage of quality of life, and that continues to to do that. So I, I like to be part of that. Um, you know, those solutions. We like to to help mold the organization to adapt to the changing energy markets. Um, and again, it's just that sense of professional pride. You know, I, this is the career path that I've chosen. So I definitely want to be part of the professional society that represents that. Nice. You know, Zachary, when you were talking, it reminded me of just being that engineer that was, that had to give presentations, that had to talk in front of people and not being the best at it. I remember it was, this was during my second job. My first job didn't even require me to talk really all that much. I did a lot of work in a lab, which I didn't mind. And then that second job, they told me I was going to be a project lead, which required me to give presentations in front of management every month. And it was at that point that I realized, you know what, maybe I should have worked on my presentation skills because <laughs> <laughs> those first few presentations were absolutely horrendous. <laughs> and then I, But, you know, I noticed that a lot of the other engineers weren't all that much better at it than I was. But that was my wake up call that perhaps this is something that I need to get better at. At what point did you realize that maybe presenting in front of people, just being able to communicate with others could be a benefit to you? Yeah, that so this is this is very interesting. And when you and when you reached out to me and I, I watched some of your, your previous interviews, this is 
it's, it's such an interesting um, topic for me because uh, it, it may seem, and, and, and of course I, I give talks you know, pretty much every week, either virtually or, or, or in person at this point, um, I was the most introverted person that you could have met up until you know, basically my mid twenties. Um, all all growing up, I was extremely backwards and shy, and even in college and in my first few years of working um, in the professional world, I just I I, I was not a particularly good uh, communicator, <laughs> and and um, and, it, and I sometimes even I look back with a little self awareness, and 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 I'm kind of amazed at where I've gone. I'll tell you the first point that I real I'll tell you what broke me out of that was working offshore. When you work in such a high high consequence dynamic environment like that where communication is so critical and maybe not in the sense of public speaking or presentations, but just in terms of raw communication, be able to quickly and effectively relay information that has very high stakes attached to it in terms of both health and safety as well as commercial implications. Um, you realize very quickly or you learn very quickly to break out of your shell and to to not worry about um, you know, being uncomfortable in a conversation. And so I think that's where it started in terms of uh, the trajectory of being a little bit more confident and, and capable public speaker. But in my, in my, my job, uh, my previous job where I was working for, for the gas company, you know, you did have more opportunities to um, speak with your, um, you know, to educate people on the topic of underground storage, because much like the questions you asked me, that's oftentimes what, what we were asked to do was to give training courses to new hires on underground storage, because they understand what a pipeline is. They understand what a what drilling a well might be, but they don't understand the, the, the storage part of it. So there's often quite a lot of, of, of need to give presentations, both to external and to internal, internal stakeholders on that. And so that started getting me in the habit of, of preparing slides and presentations and understanding how to do that. And then the more and more you practice that, the more and more it became kind of commonplace. And then as I got more involved in advocacy, uh, taking more roles on within the, the SPE, I had more opportunities to give more present, more talks to larger and larger groups. And, and even now, um, you know, I do that, you know, like I said, pretty much, um, you know, I've got, I've got one scheduled tomorrow. I'll be up on, on the campus of actually my alma mater. I'll be driving up to Morgantown to speak with WVU. In the past month, I've spoken at Penn State, St. Francis, Mississippi State, um, you know, and the, and the list goes on and on, and that's just the students and then the other opportunities, which I bring up not to kind of uh, pat myself on the back, but more just to see, to explain that the, the frequency, it's, it's like any other skill, you, you practice to, to get better at things, right? You, you become a better presenter, you become a better public speaker by presenting and speaking publicly. And so that was, that was my journey to, to where I am today, where, you know, right now it's, it's very easy for me to get up in front of several hundred people and talk kind of, you know, um, Kind of on the fly, to be perfectly honest with you, uh, but that was not uh, that was not uh, ingrained in me from birth. That was a that was a skill set that I had to to learn the importance of uh, many years ago, and then develop over the last you know decade plus. Do you ever get nervous before giving a presentation? And if so, mm -hmm. how do you deal with your nerves? Uh, I, I will admit, at this point, not really. Um, and, and and again, that's not to say that I didn't in the past. Um, it's just, again, as you build up a tolerance to that, you become more confident, it becomes more commonplace, and then it's just very easy to to kind of jump into things without worrying about that. But in the past, when you would get nervous, um, the, the main thing I can think about is, I know it sounds cliche, but you just take a deep breath and you slow down. And um, that's, that's the biggest uh, thing that I realize is that you... Um, 
you know, I, I oftentimes when I get nervous, I talk very quickly. I, I, I talk a lot in general. It's my, one of my flaws and I, I can sometimes talk very quickly, but it's important to recognize to just kind of slow down. Um, and then if you, as you slow down mechanically, then your, you know, your blood pressure goes down, your, your, your nerves get, get calmed and then it's a little bit easier. And it's also it, 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 a good trick I've found is in when you do start presenting, if you can just kind of focus on the people that you, you, you notice that you may know in the crowd or that you see are most engaged in your presentation. And then you can realize I, I'm not focusing on speaking to the two or 300 people in the room. I'm speaking to the one or two people that, that I know, um, you know, um, are, 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 are really paying attention and, and then are um, going to be receptive of my, of my message. So, um, you know, some little, little tricks like that, but ultimately it's just about recognizing that, uh, you know, if you, if you, if you, if you think something, it'll, it'll manifest at least in that, in that sense, right. If you, if you think calmly and, and, and take your time and, and kind of relax, um, you know, eventually the, the, the chemistry of the body will respond to that as well. You know, I don't think it's cliche to say take a breath and slow down at all. I think that's the best advice you could possibly have to give when it comes to giving a presentation. Although I did get some interesting advice yesterday. So I was recording another episode for this for this podcast, for this YouTube channel, and I'm with another guest. And she says before she gives a presentation, she let's see what does she do. She so she does the her vocal exercises for her vowels, so A-E-I-O-U, just mm -hmm. pronouncing them really, you know, over, over pronouncing them, I suppose. And then she also takes a bite of an apple because she says that when you do that, it, it, it increases saliva so you don't lip smack. And then she okay. also, then she also bends over her, her, her waist so that her torso is, is parallel to the ground. And then she shakes out her arms. And so she has this whole process that she goes through when she, before she gives the presentation. And I, I remarked that I hope you don't do this when other people are around because they're going to think you're nuts. <laughs> you see the person just shaking, well, <laughs> biting an apple and going A-E-I-O-U. <laughs> well, and, and even outside of that specific, you know, kind of uh, sequence, I think there is some value probably just in the routine itself, right? It's just knowing that, you know, I do this kind of preparation every time. So it becomes, again, more commonplace and familiar. And so you, you, you reach that point going into your presentation or into your speech um, where you do feel comfortable because you've gone through the same sequence of events that you always go through. And so it does become you know, kind of commonplace. So you know, that's, that's good advice as well. Nice. Well, this has been really great talking to you, Zachary. Thank you for being a guest. How can people get in touch with you? Well, I'm on uh, LinkedIn. I'm, I'm pretty, uh, that's the only social media I use, but uh, you can contact me on LinkedIn. Uh, my my uh, personalized URL is Zachary Evans Petro, as in, uh, as in petroleum. So you can look me up there. That's Zachary with an H. Um, and then um, if you want to drop me an email, my, my personal email is Zachary Evans at gmail.com. You're more than well welcome to, to do that. And uh, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm all the time, you know, traveling the country and speaking with folks um, and happy to speak with, with folks in the future um, because this, this, this stuff we're talking about here, that kind of personal development stuff, it was a huge benefit to me over my career. And I'm certainly happy to give back and I appreciate the opportunity to, to speak with you about this this morning because it's, a, it's a, a, lot, a lot of great information that people can, can surely benefit from. No question. Well, everyone, that marks the end of another edition of Teach the Geek interviews. My name is Neil Thompson founder of Teach the Geek. It's an online platform for science and engineering professionals. I'm also the creator of the Teach the Geek to Speak online public speaking course. And you can check it out at teachthegeek.com. Again, that's teachthegeek.com. Until next time, take care and stay safe. Thanks, Zachary. You're welcome. Thank you. 
Well, everyone, that marks another episode in the can. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like these episodes and want to support Teach the Geek, please subscribe, share, and like on any of your favorite podcast platforms. We're on all of them. Also, if you prefer to watch the episodes, head on over to the YouTube channel at youtube.teachthegeek.com. Until next time.